Hello and welcome to another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled, John 18, Man's Empty Deliverance. Our text to begin is John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. So we've been reading the story of Jesus' arrest. And in verse 10 and 11, we read, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Yesterday, we looked at Jesus' example of leadership of his disciples and submission to his Father in how he spoke and acted in this situation. The disciples' responses give us the opposite example. Jesus had been preparing the disciples for this moment for quite some time. He made occasional statements like this to them so they would be forewarned. This is from Luke 18, verses 31 to verse 33. It says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. In Luke's account, this is the third time Jesus had mentioned his coming arrest and death to the disciples. Luke adds this in verse 34, writing, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. We might ask how they couldn't understand such a clear statement. The answer to that is somewhat found in the way they responded to Jesus' first declaration of this truth. I think we all remember Peter's response and rebuke. In Matthew 16, verses 22 and 23, we read, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, there's always a connection between submitting to what God says and being able to understand what he says. The disciples had a very different idea about what Messiah was going to do. So even though Jesus told them directly several times that he would suffer and die, it never took hold in their hearts. They couldn't understand. The angels chided Jesus' followers when they found the empty tomb like this. This is from Luke 24, verses 2 to 7. It says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's ironic about them expecting to find the body of Jesus? Well, Jesus told them that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and on the third day he would rise. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These are the angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. I want us to notice an important truth here demonstrated by the disciples. It is possible for you to be a child of God and yet live in resistance to God's will. Peter and the others were chosen followers of Jesus, right? 
but they had their own doctrine and agenda to this point. Though they should have believed what Jesus said would happen, it was so contrary to their own thinking that they didn't consider the meaning of his words until after Jesus rose from the dead. What did Jesus say is the ironic truth about such a person? You can be doing the work of Satan rather than the work of God. Peter resisted the will of God to the last possible moment. He drew his sword and attempted to fight. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we see the disciples may have been eager for this solution of combat. In Luke 22, from verse 35 to verse 38, we read, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Here again, Jesus is referencing his coming death. The point then of him speaking of the disciples having swords seems to highlight they would be alone for a moment. It's funny that this is a pretty indirect statement, whereas before these men had not understood Jesus' very direct statement about his death. Though it's an ambiguous statement, what do you notice the disciples latch onto from his statement? It's the part about the swords. They quickly produce two swords, and we know that one of them belonged to Peter. Jesus responds saying, it's enough, showing that he didn't really mean that they needed swords for this, this moment. That's not what his statement was about. If they did need swords for the coming moment, then they would have obviously needed more than just two swords to be able to fight what was about to happen. So in this response that you see from the disciples, was this submission to what God's plan was? No, this was their plan for how to avoid God's plan. Christians, I can't tell you how many times I've seen believers planning to avoid God's plan. It's so interesting to follow the ironies of our thinking here. We can lump our mindset in with the disciples here. We've often been no different from them. The word deliverance is often used in Ugandan churches. People speak of it to refer often to change in their circumstances in one way or another. Yet people miss their true need of deliverance from sin and how Jesus had to deliver them from that. The word that we translate as salvation from the Greek actually can mean deliverance. That's its direct meaning. We've been saved. We've been rescued. We've been delivered. Jesus told his disciples in one place that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men. In Mark 9.31, we read, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed... After three days, he will rise. We see Jesus had to be delivered up for us that we might be delivered. But here at Jesus' arrest, we see Peter fighting to be delivered from God's deliverance because it didn't fit with what he thought should happen. Jesus stops Peter and reminds him of what we all must do. Submit to the will of our Father. 
Jesus says to him, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? What if Peter and the other disciples had been able to defeat all the soldiers in combat? Where would that have left them? They would still have been separated from God because Jesus hadn't atoned for their sins. Man can't deliver himself. But this is the reality we have in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What deliverance are you seeking? Is that seeking actually causing you to resist God's deliverance for you and God's work in you? Are you laboring on the side of Christ by submitting to his commands? Or are you actually resisting him by trying to deliver yourself from the cup he's given us? God bless you all.